spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. It's going to be a TV midseason like no other this year. It's episode 350 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham. And yeah, because of COVID, everything being pushed to the winter like this, there's so much stuff that's just coming at us fast and furious. And guess what? We've got it for you. Batwoman is going to be premiering this coming Sunday, January the 17th. We've got Megan Tandy on the show this week to talk about all things season two. What's going on with Sophie? And are there any unresolved issues with Kate there? We'll definitely talk about that. And going to continue to talk about Fox's prodigal son with Frank Hart. You saw what happened to JT in the season two premiere of that show. So I will talk to him about that and a whole bunch of other stuff. You've got Servant coming to Apple TV Plus this week. I'll give you my spoiler-free thoughts on that. And plus, I mean, there's comics to talk about. By the way, I want to mention our sponsor, Kobo, from last week. You still have a chance to win $3,000 in cash. Go to Kobo.com slash down and nerdy for your chance to do that. But I feel like we've got so much to talk about this week. We might as well get it started. How about we start with Batwoman this week, actually? Talking to Megan Tandy next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Yo, yo, this is Cam Rush Johnson from the cast of Batwoman. You are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Oh, the excitement is so there for season two of Batwoman on the CW. It's going to be back on Sunday, January the 17th. And I could not wait. When I found out I was going to be talking to her, I was so excited to talk about Sophie Moore. It's Megan Tandy. Megan, how are you doing? Yay, I'm doing pretty good. Thank you so much. How are you? Doing great. And, I mean, it's it's easy for me to say that you guys had a great first season because I wouldn't shut up about it last season. So, But there's obviously <laughs> one big change heading into season two. Now that you've been on set for a while shooting this season, does it feel more like a fresh start to you or does it feel like more of a continuation from last season's story? You know, I got to say, it definitely feels like a little bit of both. Like we're getting the best of both worlds and that we're able to continue something that was already so awesome. But then we also have this wonderful, fresh, brand new thing that we also have to integrate with it. So, you know, this definitely has its challenges to make sure that they both kind of work. But like, it's also been very, very exciting, too. So it's pretty awesome. So let's talk about Javicia Leslie for a moment. I mean, I've seen all the Instagram videos, stuff like that, that, that all you guys have been posting. What kind of an energy has she brought to the set and into this new role as well? Honestly, she has brought such an amazing energy to this set. Like the fact that, look, anytime that I can go on set and there's actually somebody there that wants to dance, do a fun little cute little video, or like we're literally just laughing the whole time, I knew right away this girl was going to be cool. Because that's how I like to spend my days at work. We're not just sitting there and it's just lines. It can get kind of boring. But like when she hops onto the set, like it's always just literally so much fun. She has this really light energy about her. She's very excited about the job and very eager to get the job done. So it's, it's been pretty cool. So let's look at this from Sophie's perspective, because with Kate missing and everything that went down with the actual Batwoman character last season, how much can you tell us about how she feels about someone new taking up the mantle? So here's the thing with Sophie. Remember, she didn't even know that Kate with that woman she had no idea so she's sitting there you know making out with this woman she doesn't know who she is (laughs) she misses kate which you know of course like she wants to be with her but their relationship was estranged so now coming into season two although sophie's definitely going to notice a huge difference you know it's like oh this is not the same woman she still has no idea that that was not kate before that so of course it's going to be a big deal that she notices it's a completely different batwoman but She's not thinking in her head like, oh, well, that used to be Kate. Now I miss Kate even more. Like, you know what I'm saying? So it's still going to be very, very shocking and crazy for her. But, yeah, ultimately she's going to be missing her long-lost love. So, yeah, the poor girl. Does she also kind of feel like, I feel like there's got to be stuff that she feels like maybe was left unsaid or unresolved issues? Because you never know that somebody's just going to poof, disappear just like that. How is she dealing with that mentally? Yeah, so Sophie, that's one of the main reasons why the whole 
girl is like in shambles in the beginning of the season. <laughs> like, because Kate, I mean, there were so many things that were left unsaid. There were so many things that they didn't get to actually do and, you know, like come back together. And so the fact that it starts off with Kate being completely gone, she's disappeared. Yeah, I mean, Sophie's devastated. So she's like, wait a minute, I didn't get to tell the girl that I loved her. So, oh yeah, it's going to be ridiculous right off the bat. So I think a lot of fans, including myself, are still mad at Jacob. I'm sorry, I'm still mad, can't get over it. So <laughs> over what happened at the end of last oh. season. So what can you tell us about Sophie and Jacob's relationship heading into this season? Sophie and Jacob's relationship going into season two is still very, very much strong because she has worked so hard to become a crow. She's all about the mission. She believes in the crows and she also loves the commander. So for her, she's got this empathy for him. She wants to help him to soften out, to not just be like, all right, cool. We're going to go in there. We're going to attack that woman. We're going to go in there. We're going to take care of all of Gotham. Like she, she believes that this man's got a wonderful side to him, you know? And so She's not going to be anti-Jacob right off the bat, or, or maybe not even at all. But how that dynamic shifts or doesn't shift, people will just have to tune in and see. I'm sure she's going to be anti-somebody, though, and that's Alice. Because, I mean, I'm sure she's still going to be a major factor <laughs> in this upcoming season. How much unfinished business is there there? Because I can't wait for that one again. Oh, yeah. there is Now, that is definitely a, a, a fact. There is so much unfinished business between Sophie and Alice. It's not even funny. And I feel like Sophie, she always deep down just wants to get a little bit of just, you know, just a little bit of revenge on that girl because, you know, she always has the upper hand on Sophie. So poor Sophie, where she's thinking like, all right, cool, I got Alice this time. Um, no, Alice is so good at what she does. She always gets Sophie. <laughs> so season two, oh no, Sophie's definitely like, nope, I got to get Alice. We're going to get her this time and we're going to do it. Or not. Oh, can't wait to find out. We're talking to Megan Tandy, who plays Sophie Moore on Batwoman, which, of course, returns Sunday, January the 17th at 8 p.m. Eastern Time on The CW. Now, Megan, speaking of villains, we just found out that, you know, you guys are going to be dealing with a bunch of new villains this season this year, actually. I think we the the news about Black Mask just came out recently. How cool is it to be able to explore some of these new villains and new challenges coming up in this season? I absolutely love it. You know, first of all, I love everything in the Gotham world. So anything Gotham world, Batman, Batwoman, it's all my jam. So when we start bringing in all of these other villains that were also a part of the comics, like literally every script, I'm freaking out because I'm just like, yes. Now, do I have a scene with this person? (laughs) You know, like I start getting right. Right. Yeah. Because. It's exciting, you know, that we get to explore these other characters. And then we also have Sophia coming into this season, which is such a dope character. Mm -hmm. And I just feel like it just adds so much more to our show. Like, yes, of course, there's drama, there's emotion, but there's also like action and like a completely dark side to our show. And that's where I thrive. That's what I love about it. So (laughs) I think it's great. All I know is I saw Cameras use the word canon in a video, and I was like, really? Okay. (laughs) Yeah, I saw that. I saw that. I was like, oh, boy. (laughs) Loved it. Loved it. But, I mean, there's also some very emotional stuff that Sophie went through last season. I want to go back to that for a minute. And it was a really powerful moment when she came out to her mom. And, obviously, that was a really painful moment for her. But do you kind of hope that that is a story we get to go back and revisit at some point? Yes. I I would absolutely love for that to continue to be explored because, you know, of course, you know, we're making a show. Of course, there's those entertainment factors, but that's a real story for someone in the world. Like, and and, and not just one person. It, it, It represents a completely large community of black women who have to live in the closet from their own freaking family. And so I hope that there is going to be an opportunity for us to go back and be like, all right, cool. So what is it like having a mom who's just super anti-LGBTQ? Like, what is it like having a father that was just never on board with anything to begin with? And, and what it's like to then having, having to have to, to come out to that person and be like, Hey mom, like, I know you don't like it, but this is who I am. Like, I, I hope that there's going to be an opportunity for us to go back because it's, it's, it's a huge thing that represents a bunch of people. So I saw you all post, like we were talking about the dance videos a few minutes ago and all the fun that you guys are having on set. I'm not going to let you get away with not finding this out. Who's the best dancer on set? <laughs> the best dancer. All right. You know what? Okay. I, it's, it's definitely, it's cynical. You just, the girl is just the bomb. Like now, now look, I think I do pretty good. Mm-hmm. I think I can shake it, you know, shake, rattle and roll. 
But Nicole, that girl is absolutely, like, she's trained. Like, she's doing plies. She's doing splits in the what? air. I'm over here, like, catching, like, freaking, like, cranks in my leg. Like, she's definitely by far the best dancer. I, I There's just, there's no denial. I'm sure. in pain just listening to you describe that. That that sounds painful. Like, yeah. I, there's no way I can do that. <laughs> no, me neither. Like, honestly, me neither. Like, I do think I do pretty good. But, like, the splits in the air, yeah, I'm, like, pulling my hamstring just thinking about it. So, wow, we're on wow. the same page. That's unbelievable. So we talked about Sophie's love life a little bit a second ago. It might actually be the most complicated one on the show, and I'm not even sure it's close. So, you know, Kate's gone. Things with Julia seem to be very much up in the air. Are you kind of hoping that she finds that happiness this season? And is it possible that it could be with somebody new, perhaps? Yes. So I always say never say never when it comes to the world of Batwoman. And the thing with Sophie is, yeah, you know, there was Kate, who I think was her long lost love that she couldn't have. And then now there's Julia, this brand new relationship that they just got into at the end of season one. And we're we're very much still together at the beginning of season two. So I'm very, very hopeful that this poor girl, Sophie Moore, is going to find somebody that's like within her truth. And it's like, boom, this is my woman and we're together. But it's also still kind of difficult, though, because Kate, (laughs) that was her woman. So I don't know. I'm still holding out hope for the girl, but we'll see. Uh, It's going to be kind of a hard thing to focus on right now, too, though, with everything going on with her disappearance. I'm sure the focus is going to very much be on that for her and plenty of others as well. Yeah, no, definitely. You know, the fact that, you know, we literally start off episode one with uh, Kate's disappearance. I mean, it literally shakes up everybody's world. So anything that was already going on or not going on or whatever, it all just completely and immediately stops. And and now you have to watch these characters navigate to the next step in their lives. It's like, well, wait a minute. Well, what do we do? Like, Kate Kane's not here. So, yeah, no, it's a big shakeup for everybody for sure. So we've had to wait about three extra months to find out what was going to be happening at the beginning uh, of this season. I mean, it's been described as explosive, yeah. crazy. I mentioned camera saying cannon. So give us something new. Give us a nice juicy tease. How would you describe what we're about to see? Oh, well, you are about to see something very groundbreaking because the fact that we have a black LGBTQ lead of this show for Batwoman, that's not really ever been done before. And the fact that we get to have that opportunity on this show for this series on this network is absolutely huge. So all those other words, they all represent the show, but groundbreaking is number one. Sorry. I think that that's absolutely right because you've got, a, a black woman who's a superhero. You've got a black woman who's the most badass agent in the Crows. And you've got a black yeah. man who's the smartest guy in the room. How amazing is that? Yeah, <laughs> definitely. I think we're checking off all the boxes for sure. It just comes <laughs> natural. breaking down barriers. It just comes yeah. natural, especially for Sophie. No <laughs> doubt about that. And we'll find out. Season two of Batwoman begins Sunday, January the 17th, 8 p.m. on the CW. I want you watching it again, though, the next day on the CW app as well, because I can't wait to see what she gets into. Megan Tandy, thank you so much for joining me this week. Yay, thank you so much. This was fun, James. You're awesome. And I know, just like me, you've been waiting and waiting and waiting to find out what's going to be happening on season two of Batwoman, and we're just a few days away. I cannot wait. Thanks to Megan Tandy for joining me to talk about Batwoman Season 2. Up next, let's talk about Prodigal Son Season 2 with Frank Hart. He's got a big arc coming up this season. We'll talk to him about it next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Robin Wood Taylor from Gotham, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. You didn't think after that first episode we were just going to stop talking about Fox's Prodigal Son, did you? Yeah, you know we're going to be watching every Tuesday night, 9 o'clock Eastern Time, on Fox, and this is the guy we absolutely had to get back on the show for this season. He plays Detective J.T. Tarmel on the show. It's Frank Hartz. Frank, welcome back to the show. Wow, this is it's so good to be back. I had such a good time last last time. Man, we had a blast with you. And I mean, things are going to get a little serious this time, though. So we're gonna we're gonna dig into this thing. Season two, obviously, gonna be a big one for J.T. So, how did you feel when you found out about his story about discrimination on the job? I felt like uh, that the many Zoom meetings and calls we had over the summer post-George uh, Floyd were heard. My biggest fear, the thing I lost the most sleep over after George Floyd and Breonna Taylor in between season one and season two was the fact that I was 
going to be playing a, a black cop on television in, in this uh, post-Floyd world and how and what that was going to look like. It really sort of scared me to death. And after having, you know, candid conversations with, with Chris and Sam, I felt like uh, they were completely open and, and um, understanding of the situation. And, and what you see in 201 and 202, which we'll see soon, is, is a result of those conversations. And, and the main goal being, we knew we weren't going to solve racism on television within a couple of episodes of television. But I wanted to have just have a conversation on screen and do my duty as, as an actor. And they, they chose to do their duty as writers as well. And we all this is what we fi- where we find ourselves. No doubt about it. And, and I know for, for me, from my perspective, just as I'm watching the episode, just seeing what was happening to JT was really, really hard. So what was it actually like when you had to get in there and film that scene? What, what, were, what was going through your head? What were your emotions? It was, it was really strange because, you know, here's a guy who did a number of tours in the military, you know, was, he's been shot at, almost blown up, and nothing has ever been as hard for him as this situation. The decision he has to make when there's a baton against his neck squeezing the life out of him the decision he has to make, a guy who bleeds blue has to face a fellow officer and figure out whether or not he's going to end this guy within a half a second, which he could do, or, you know, just neutralize the situation and figure out what's next. I mean, there's nothing worse than having your own turn against you or not recognize you. I think that's what JT was feeling in that moment, that, that dual loyalty to the force, but at the same time trying to figure out how to get out of this extremely dark situation. And, and then what to do after. Um, and then so, so what happened was that that sort of had an effect on me, not sort of, it did have an effect on me as an actor personally as well as I built up to that moment, to shooting that moment. I mean, I, I've never been more, like my wife could tell you, like just preoccupied and, and just kind of a bit depressed and, and also just nervous. I mean, I, so nervous. I, I, I mean, I played, I can't tell you how many Shakespearean roles on the stage, you know, trained actors, Juilliard, all that stuff, that Broadway doesn't matter. When it came down to this moment, I've never been more afraid and excited in my life. Excited as an actor to, to have the honor of portraying this on screen, but also fearful that, you know, I might not be able to do it the justice that it deserves. And in the end, I think I was able to pull it off. But I mean, you don't know until you do it. Totally agree that you pulled it off, too, by the way. Amazingly well. After that... Thank you. After that, there was a very powerful moment. It was almost like the the other side of the coin, if you will. When Gil Arroyo walks into that station, says, I have your back. He's also got Bright there, and he's just got this support system with him. How important of a moment was that for JT, especially happening, especially occurring right after such a traumatic event? I mean, there couldn't be anything more. I mean, that that was everything because first and foremost, these guys, these folks are cop. They're cops, you know. It's it's all about you know doing that work, and so you don't really know. Even though it's a diverse police force, and we all, you know, a lot of us have brown skin, you know, and and that's one thing. But it doesn't necessarily mean that that people are going to have your back or understand what you've gone through just because we look similar. Uh, we 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 live by the badge first, and so he wasn't really sure how everything was going to be perceived by Gil and everybody else. So to have that moment where Gil reassures him, I mean he's got a pretty good feeling that that they're going to be on his side, but you don't know in the end because he's never experienced it. And so yeah, to have that moment where Gil puts his hand on JT's shoulder and says, you know what, you're a good cop, we have your back, and to have Danny and Bright there as support systems was everything to him. It meant that, you know, he wasn't alone in the world, you know, and even though it's going to be a hard, there's going to be some hard decisions to make going forward about how to respond, especially since he has a son on the way, you know, and a family to think about. He, he feels like he supported in that moment, which means a lot. Now, what I thought was really cool about that first episode as well as we find out, you know, before Gil's return that JT was actually the man in charge at the station. So yeah. do you kind of hope that. Somewhere down the line, he's going to have a chance to run his own squad again, or do you feel like this is home for him? That was another thing that excited me about that first episode, is that you got to open the season seeing a young black man like JT with uh, so, a lot more responsibility as the head, acting head of major crimes, even though he's you know missing Gil with every you know 
uh, you know, waking moment and can't wait for him to return. It, it was great to see his that, that he was competent in that role, even though he might not be so great with the lights and the cameras and the interviews to begin with, you know, because that's uh, uncharted territory for him. He can do the job on any level well, which is important. And even though we didn't get to see a lot of it, we got to see some of it. And yes, um, I, 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 you always want to see a character like Jake, who is quite capable, uh, expand his horizons and, and move on up the ladder. Um, not necessarily in, obviously, in Gil's position, because that's Gil's position, but moving up the ladder in any way he can and embracing those challenges, never, never becoming, this is not a guy who just becomes comfortable. I mean, this is a military veteran in a number of tours we talked about before. A New Yorker, born and bred, you know, he, he struggles, he in, uh, fights for more all the time, you know, and at the same time, is comfortable in the job that he's in when he's there and, and, you know, respects it for what it's worth while continually trying to move forward. So that, that's, that's, that's the flavor. Of, that's the flavor I'm getting from JT. So we'll see what happens. Who knows? I mean, I think there are definitely bigger and brighter things for him ahead, but also where he's at is very cool too. You know, top who knows how to do his job very well. And even though he has to deal with some of these social issues, I think he'll, he'll definitely find his way through that and find the joy again in, in life. That's the great thing about playing a character like JT, and that draws me to a lot of characters, the ability to respect both drama and comedy equally. That's the thing that makes a human being a human, all the different colors in the palette. And uh, that's what I enjoy about playing JT. Well said, man. Well said. We're talking to Frank Hartz, who plays Detective J.T. Tarmel on Fox's Prodigal Son, which you can watch every Tuesday night at 9 o'clock Eastern Time, and again on the Fox Now app. Now, Frank, last time we spoke, I asked you about the relationship between J.T. and Bright, but that was at the beginning of Season 1. So let's fast forward a little bit. How would you describe their relationship now? Yeah, I think it's the same with a lot of folks uh, right now in the NYPD uh, team. You know, we are in a world now that that sort of forces people to into their own corners more more than ever before into their own personal bubbles dealing with their own problems you know whether it's the coronavirus or the 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 these racial tensions in society whatever it is and, and so it's it's not as easy as it was for because I I do think JT warmed up to bright over throughout season 1 for sure you know, he grew to respect him for what he's worth, you know, because what he learned in the trenches of war is it doesn't matter what you think about a person's personality or isms. It's all about whether or not they can get the job done and save lives, including your own. And so he's going into season two with that same approach to Bright. The only problem is the way things are set up in society these days, it's just hard to make that connection. So, but the great thing about having good writers is that they are very good at finding those opportunities. And I'm excited to explore more of those opportunities as the season goes on, because I, I hope you would agree those moments between Bright and JT, even though they were they were few and far between when they happened, they were they were they were quite rich. And, oh, yeah. And, and enjoyable for me as an actor to play. No doubt about it, man. I actually want to go back to the season one finale for a second, because we talked about, you know, how good of a cop JT is. And, and you know, he's 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 definitely he he's, you know, kind of like a by the rules sort of guy. I think it always has been, especially when it comes to his work anyway. So, obviously, he doesn't know what happened with Bright and with Ainsley in that season one finale. If he were to find out, how does he react to that? Yeah, I've been thinking about this, and, and it's a great question. Because, first of all, just on his face, it wouldn't be good. It would be a very, very bad reaction. Especially because he, you know, did give, end up giving Bright the benefit of the doubt and welcoming him to the team in the end, so to speak. And... and to, to, to see if he were to discover this major, major uh, crime and injustice, I think I don't think he would take it very well. But at the same time, because he's such a loyal individual, he may be just as torn as Bright is about what to do. You know, uh, just as torn as Bright was with Ainsley about what to do as he is uh, with Bright. Because it's family in the end now. It's family and there's a loyalty involved. And he's a cop. He follows the rules. And, you know, there's one pathway that you can you can choose, but there's also the other path of loyalty and trying to help a fellow family member get through this. So I don't know how he'll react in the end, to be honest. I mean, I mean, overall, I know how he'll react initially. And it probably won't, won't be uh, uh, too, uh, too pretty, but I don't know how it will end up. That's the thing. That's the exciting part, man. There's so many 
ways it can go, you know? Yeah, that's one of the reasons that, that's one of the reasons we love the show, man. So, Frank, before I let you go, in this second episode, there's another very scary moment for JT. And I think that we kind of all suspected as fans that things would get worse before they got better. But just tease for us, just how bad are things going to get? And also, what is your hope for everyone watching how this as to how this story plays out? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't want to uh, give too much away about, the, the, you know, what's coming up. But, I mean, I guess you can imagine um, <laughs> it's going to get worse before it gets better, as you just said. And it, it, you, you're going to find a guy, JT is going to be, you know, uh, going to be in a situation where he just doesn't know which way to turn. He's at a crossroads, and, and it, it, it really is putting more pressure on him psychologically and spiritually than he's ever dealt with before. Uh, to the point where it, it's not quite clear if he'll be able to ha- handle it, but the hope and the goal is that he will he'll be able to to, to rise from the ashes and, and, and be stronger for it. And as far as people watching these things unfold, I'm just hoping that, um, as with everything in the world, it will just teach us a little bit more about how to find the connection with our, our, our better selves, you know, and um, the, uh, the 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 the, the best parts of, of humanity, the best parts that humanity has to offer. Because when sometimes when you get to experience or see the darkest, darkest parts, uh, it'll help you uh, appreciate and want to explore and look more into um, the, 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 the path of, of righteousness and, and light, uh, which is, you know, never easy, but um, we're all capable of, um, of rising above. And I think, you know, regardless of what you you know, believe politically, uh, it, it doesn't matter. In the end, we all have to figure out how to come together as human beings and find the good in one another, no matter who you voted for, what you believe in, any of that stuff. The only way we survive as a race is by coming together. And it's not going to be easy, but hopefully uh, we'll be able to, uh, to as, a, as a show and as a cast, uh, shine some light on some of these issues that will help aid uh, in that uh, mission. Yet another reason to watch Fox's Prodigal Son every Tuesday night at 9 o'clock Eastern Time, watching it live, then watching it again on the Fox Now app, and you guys are going to be blown away by what you see from this guy. It's Frank Hartz. Thank you so much for joining me this week. Hey, this is so cool, man. I always, always get a blast, have a blast talking to you. Thank you. And again, you can see how it plays out every Tuesday night, 9 o'clock Eastern Time. That's when you can watch Prodigal Son on Fox. Up next, how about we dive into our first review of the show, a spoiler-free review of the season two premiere of Servant from Apple TV Plus. Up next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Addy Shankar, and I'm on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. The search is on, and season two is here. That's right. Apple TV's Servant is kicking off its second season. I want to give you my spoiler-free review of the season two premiere. We might get some spoilers though for season one if you haven't started binging the show yet. But after the events of the season one finale, the search is on for baby Jericho. Leanne just happens to be missing too, by the way, you know, in case we're keeping track. So there, there's also kind of the search for truth about Leanne and her family and, and that whole crazy mess that we found out about in season one. So I feel like we started out season one with a mystery, but this is an entirely different vibe in this second season because each character seems to be in a different mental state. To me, the brilliance though of this premiere is the performance by Toby Kebble and the push and pull that's going on with Sean that's really, really interesting. You see it play out a lot in this first episode of season two and some really just... There was there was one particular scene in this second season that it was, it was hard for me to watch. I mean, I, I actually had to turn away at one or two points. I, I'm thinking about it right now as I'm talking about it, and I've got chills running on my spine. And that just doesn't happen all the time, right? And that's the brilliance of M. Night Shyamalan right there being involved in this show, I think. Not just Tony Kebbell's, Toby Kebbell's performance, but the brilliance of M. Night Shyamalan as well. It's also interesting to see how far, though, Sean's calm, but the question as to what he truly believes is still very much there. And, and, and you know that if you watch season one of the show. And then you've got Dorothy, who's played by, again, brilliantly by Lauren Ambrose, still determined as ever. 
and you've got Julian is either someone you either understand or you hate, depending on your perspective of his intentions. But Julian, it's almost like he feels like he he's the one that's planted in reality. But I don't think he realizes that he seems to be in a situation where reality has kind of checked out at this point, right? There's There's been, ever since the events of season one, you almost have to kind of look at this and go, okay, is what I'm seeing real or, or is it not? And you could certainly understand certain things about Julian's perspective, right? But there's also a coldness to him that I just can't get behind with this character. And, and I, I, you know, maybe you feel like, okay, he's just trying to help his sister because he thinks that, you know, you know, she's nuts and he's worried about her. And he's also worried about Sean to a certain extent as well. So, you know, what do you expect him to do? Well, he does at least one thing in this season two premiere that makes me go, wow, really dude, really? And I'm not saying that Sean is like the good guy either by the way, in all this. But again, it's all a matter of perspective when you're watching this show, I guess you could say. So they haven't really so much created a new mystery in this season as they've kind of added another layer to it. At least that's kind of the way I see it. And that's not a criticism either, by the way. So what can't be lost, though, is how much of a character-driven show this really is. Because there are really so many good performances that are behind it, that they kind of don't need to hide behind the veil of this mystery. So, and again, I'm not saying that as a criticism. That is actually a point in this show's favor. The fact that they do have a good mystery there. They have the the eeriness dialed up to 11, too, by the way. And then how about on top of all that, you've also got this these amazing characters that that bring out these complex emotions in a very very interesting way. There's a lot on the line here, but how this first episode ends might be the most interesting cliffhanger of all, and and something that I got to be honest, I didn't see this coming. Especially from watching season one, I did not see how this episode ended. Coming, You kind of sense that it might happen as you're watching the first episode of season two of Servant on Apple TV Plus. But at the same time, you do, I feel like you're not going to really see this coming. And if what you're seeing really is something that's going to come to pass, then that I mean, that that's just really interesting. And how that's going to affect some of the other characters. See, I'm trying to be spoiler free here. If, if I could talk spoilers. I would, but the show just can't... The, the first episode of season two just came out. I'm not going to be that guy that spoils it for you, right? So I got to say, I was intrigued by season one. I think season two has a chance to dial it up even a little bit more. And and the creepy factor is definitely still there. So if you love that eeriness about season one, don't worry. There's plenty of it already in season two. And just the way... The the raw emotion that just comes off of these characters and how, again, depending on your perspective of how you watch the show, you could have such wildly varying opinions of what's going on and how you feel about some of these characters. And that's kind of the brilliance of the show for me. And, of course, M. Night Shyamalan, it, just the way he delivers the vibe of this show makes it so, so enjoyable and binge-worthy, even though you've got to wait weekly for these episodes so that you've got that. It, it takes you back, right? Like you used to have to yearn for, for next episodes of shows, right? And now so many times you could just binge the entire season. Well, this one's going to make you want to wait for the next episode. I could tell you that right now. That's going to do it for my spoiler free review of the season two premiere of servant from Apple TV plus up next. It's time to start diving right in. To some comics. It's what we're reading next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is writer Dennis Hopeless, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Whether your books are past or present, whatever you're reading on, it's time for what we're reading. And actually, we're going to go into the future in a certain way of speaking anyway. DC's Future State, Dark Detective number one, as Future State continues once again. Mariko Tamaki writing this one, writing Dark Detective number one. Dan Mora on the art, who you know I love. Jordi Belair on the colors. Seems like a winning combo. And Aditya Bidikar 
on the letters. Now, going to be some spoilers here because the book's been out, but the biggest spoiler, non-spoiler, is that Bruce Wayne isn't dead, but everyone thinks he is. That That is one thing that we kind of knew going into this Dark Detective book anyway, but they also think that Batman is dead. And that's the other thing. And this is kind of kind of in line with the next Batman, too, by the way. So I just want to throw that out there, that there's kind of the magistrates involved in both stories. Let me just put it that way. Now, what we get here is some introspection from Bruce, actually, and maybe even an admission of something that Batman fans have debated forever. And, and I'll just throw it out there, and that is he responsible for creating the villains that he ultimately ends up having to battle. I feel like that is a little bit of a part of this story. Maybe I'm misreading that, but that's my interpretation. And that's the beauty of how we read these things, right? Now, the problem with Bruce is he can't just stand by when bad things are happening. That's just how he's wired. And that's just the hero in him and the hero in a lot of the heroes, I guess you could say. But unfortunately, Peacekeeper number one, who is the one you don't want after you, is alerted to those earlier reports that might not be as accurate as he thought when it regards the Cape Crusader. So this is almost like a what feels like it's going to be an ultimate showdown between Bruce Wayne and Peacekeeper number one. That's what it felt like it was teasing to me. That's where it seems like it's going, and it's almost like that's an inevitable showdown to me. But this issue kind of feels like a setup for a longer arc, but my question is, I mean, they're going to, are they going to have time to let that play out or is this a temporary type thing? I don't really think we know that for sure. But the one thing I do know is that Dan Mora is slowly becoming one of my favorite artists. I mean, the way he captures this futuristic looking Gotham and the roughness of Bruce Wayne in this environment, it's just done so, so well, just creating this, frantically crazy world that is got and that's saying something for Gotham too by the way because Gotham's always kind of been that way but this is a completely different take on that and, and everything that's going on around him but just when when he's drawing Bruce Wayne or whatever version of of Batman you want you want to put this out as I mean it's just amazing it's almost like you wish that he'd been drawing bat books more often over the years, and there's been some solid artists on Batman books, but Dan Mora, I really hope we see more of this. I mean, it was just it was a good first issue, but how far does this story get a chance to go? That's my only question. So pick it up and go ahead and see what you think about it. I'd be curious. I was gonna do a second DC Future State book this week, but because because we've got so much going on, how am I supposed to ignore? Something from other publishers. So I decided to go with Ha Ha Number One from Image Comics because it seemed kind of funky and weird and different, right? So W. Maxwell Prince writes this one. Vanessa Del Rey on the art here, Chris O'Halloran on the colors, and good old neon on the letters. You know, sometimes you just have to turn to good old neon. Now, this story actually follows a clown named Bartleby. And again, we're going to do maybe a little bit of spoilers here, but not, not as many. For this one, because I, I mean, it would be it would spoil the whole book. Now he's about to have a really bad day. Let's just put it that way. Bartleby is, and that's an understatement. I'll tell you because his job's hanging by a thread, his family life hanging by a thread as well. You know, with his wife and his kids who love him, but you know, is you know, is he going to be able to provide for his family and, and be a good husband and good father? Who who knows? And by the way, he's he's dressed like a clown. The entire time in this book. Not much I can tell you. And that definitely adds to the way the story plays out for me anyway. But I'll get to that in a second. No matter what happens though. Bartleby kind of takes a different approach and look at things. And he just laughs right through pretty much everything. And once you see how this kind of plays out as as it goes on around him. And, and how he responds to it. It's like really? That, that was my response to it anyway. Now, all around him, there's kind of desperate times, not just for him, but all around. And there's plenty of desperate measures, too, by the way. And as you go through this issue, there's this eerie feeling throughout the whole thing that you just can't shake. Maybe if it's, it's, it's the clown thing, because it's just... But what to me is it's like the shading and the darkness of the, 
of the art and the surrounding area. It just seems like the the colors should pop more. And again, not this is not a criticism of Chris O'Halloran. I think that you know Chris did a fine job of coloring this book, but it's almost like the the colors purposely weren't allowed to pop out like they would when you're talking about a clown. Now there was particular one particular sequence when you're kind of literally inside the mind of Bartleby and those colors do pop big time. But then when you jump out of that, you're right back into this more densely shaded world. And I think that that is a storytelling element all in of itself. But the surrounding art from Del Rey as well really, really sells that eerie feeling. But still, there's a few scenes in this book with such a chill in it. It's really, really hard to ignore, and especially there. Let, let me put it this way: when he goes to cash the old check, that's when things really start to go south, and and that is a tease for something. When you see the part in the book that I'm talking about, you'll understand, and you're like, "What the hell did I just see?" So you really don't know how to feel about Bartleby, though, other than you know maybe you feel sorry for him, but it he's a hard character. To grasp from just one issue, as far as as far as I can tell, anyway, because you're you're wondering if what you saw has to do with one thing or another. And again, it deals with the scene that I don't want to spoil spoil for you. But when you get there, you'll understand. There's there really is this what just happened kind of feeling, but this first issue does leave you questioning where things go from here. Especially something his wife says at the end of this issue. I, I was kind of like, well, huh? Really? That that's what you say? Oh, you know, all right, whatever. So, this is a very intriguing read for me. It wasn't one of those where I was like blown away and I'm like, "Oh, this story's incredible," or you know, "Oh, this was so amazing." But at the same time, it leaves me going, "I, I gotta find out what happens next, right?" And to me, does that spell greatness? And you could make the argument that it does. So th- this book certainly intrigued me enough. To want to continue because I I have and keeping me off balance like that and having no idea what's really going to happen next or where things are going to go. I think that's one of the beauty parts of this whole thing. So, yeah, go ahead and give Ha Ha number one a shot from Image Comics and let me know what you think. That's going to do it for what we're reading up next. Speaking of intriguing, got some very interesting nerd news to discuss. Talk about some trailers as well. I'm James Witham and this is the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is comic book writer and co-creator of Deadpool, Fabian Niciesa, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Could it be Shields up soon? It's time for nerd news and a big, I'm going to call it a rumor. I don't know if I can call it news just yet because Deadline is reporting that Chris Evans is going to return to Marvel Studios as Steve Rogers, a.k.a. Captain America, in some capacity. Now, the report suggests that this could be one film with the option for a second or one appearance with an option for a second. And the one thing it seems to be very clear in the support is that it's not going to be like a new Captain America movie. This would be something in a little bit smaller capacity. Now, here's the thing. First of all, Chris Evans says it's news to him. Okay, but at the same time, how many times have we heard that from people that were cast in Marvel Studios projects? Haley Steinfeld said that Steinfeld said that about being in Hawkeye. We heard Tatiana Maslany say that about starring in She-Hulk. And granted, those are Marvel Studios series, but still it's Marvel Studios. Nobody's going to say anything. He's not Chris Evans is not Mark Ruffalo. He's not just going to come out and say, yeah, this is what we're doing. Yep, I'm coming back. Hey, see ya. No, he's not going to do that. So, with all due respect to Mark Ruffalo, he's the spoiler machine. So, that's they're going to keep this news as far away from him as possible. But, so, even if he was coming back, it's not like he's going to say it in a tweet or something, in, in, you know, right after this report comes out. That That's just not going to happen, especially if the ink is not dry on this thing, okay? Now, let's go past that, and let's say that... For the sake of this argument that this is true, I don't understand why you do this. I'm going to be completely honest. I don't know, and I'm not talking about from Evans' perspective, although a little bit. I don't know why you do this because there are very few times 
where you can give a character their perfect exit for not just the character, but for the fans of that character as well. I feel like Steve Rogers got about as perfect of an exit from a film franchise as anyone has in recent memory because the way he went out is exactly the way he got that happy ending that I think pretty much every fan of this Marvel Studios franchise for the first three phases wanted to see him get. Spoiler alert if you still haven't seen it yet, by the way, and I can't believe I even have to say that, but... You know, he gets to ride off into the sunset, basically, with Peggy and have a life. And then you get to see him at the end. And he's he's an old man now. And he's he's clearly happy. He got to live the life that he always dreamed about with the woman that he'd always dreamed about living it with. Now, does that mean that obviously there's a gap of time there, right? And, you know, possibly something happened in between that gap of time from when he and Peggy are dancing to when he's an old man, right? I get that, okay? So maybe there's an opportunity to fill some sort of a gap there. And, you know, maybe fans are wondering about that. But I don't need that story because it doesn't add anything. It doesn't add to my fandom of Chris Evans as Captain America. Would it be nice to see Peggy Carter back again, too? Absolutely. And if if that's a package deal, then, then, you know, that's... You know, that would be great. But at the same time, again, perfect ending. The last time we see Steve Rogers, he's dancing with Peggy Carter. And they're happy. Why tarnish that? Why on earth would you bring that back? And don't throw Luke Skywalker at me from the Star Wars saga because Luke Skywalker did not get his perfect ending in in, in, in The Rise of Skywalker. He didn't. And, and there have been other characters that have. I don't know necessarily that Iron Man gets a perfect ending, right? He does get to be the hero at the end of the day and sacrifice himself for the greater good. Would I call that a perfect ending for him? Not necessarily perfect, but again, that's another one. I don't bring I don't bring him back. I don't bring up back Robert Downey Jr. because of the finality of that moment. That's why I just feel like bringing back Steve Rogers in almost, almost any capacity. I don't know why you do it. Other than a the cash grab of the headline of "Hey, he's going to be in this movie, and everybody's going to want to see it because they know this might be this might be the final chance." I just don't see how you improve on the moments you created, and this whole thing could end up not being true. By the way, this whole report could end up not being true, and and, and this is all a discussion that doesn't really matter. But if it is true, I don't know that you do this because you're tarnishing something that was beautiful that you created. And, and and even if you're going backwards, even if this is not like a future type story, even if you're going backwards and telling a prequel of him showing back up as an old man, I, I again, I, I just don't know that it's worth it. I don't know that you do this unless it has something to do with this. And, I, and, I, and follow me on this because maybe you know where I'm going. Deadpool 3 has been confirmed by Kevin Feige. And yes, it will be rated R. He confirms this in an interview with Collider. But here's the other part of this that I thought was interesting. He says that Deadpool 3 will be a part of the MCU. So now this means one of two things. They're just bringing in Deadpool to the MCU because it's uh, it's too big of a name and too big of a property to not be part of the MCU. So they're going to throw him in there because... You know, that would be a it'd almost be stupid not to from a financial standpoint. Right. Which I think anyone can understand. Or here's the other thing we're bringing there. Obviously, they're going to be bringing mutants in at some point. They're going to be bringing in the X-Men at some point, And Deadpool fits into that equation. So you can't exclude him and have his movies stand on their own if you're going to do this, especially since, you know, he's talked about that world already. Okay, so I understand those two things. But at the same time, and I obviously feel like they've got a plan, okay? they, they If anybody can has proven and has a track record of having a good plan of how to lay out their future, it's Marvel Studios. And that their three-phase plan worked out beautifully, and that was long-form storytelling 
it, it, I'm not going to necessarily say at its finest because not every movie was a home run, okay? But it's, I mean, it was pretty damn good. Uh, let's just call the facts the facts. But here's my worry here. Okay, so it's going to be rated R. It should be absolutely perfect because, you know, it's got to be a little bit more violent. The language has to be there. I'm sorry. It has to be there. It's Deadpool. It's part of the characters. Matter of fact, if this appearance by Chris Evans as Captain America is just to show up in this Deadpool movie to say language and say nothing else, I'm fine with it. If that's the deal they're making, yes, do that. That would be funny. That would be hilarious. And, you know, Deadpool's response could be almost anything Deadpool-like, and it'll just work, okay? So if that's the appearance, then I'm fine with it. Do that. I, I, I know I just said it would tarnish the legacy to see him again. Not sure I care if that's the reason. That would be hilarious. That would be funny, and that would pretty much be worth it. Because, again, it's like a, it's like a cameo for a quick laugh, and that would be it. So maybe I completely understand that if that's what they're going to do. But the one thing I do worry about with this, and I have to worry about this, and I think that I'm not the only one that should be worried about this, is how does Deadpool fit into the MCU? This feels very square peg and round hole to me. Like, not just because of, of the language and the rated R nature and stuff like that. I just don't see where this character blends into the MCU as it stands right now. Now, I will be talking about WandaVision next week, and I'm waiting a week so we can talk about spoilers for the first episodes that came out. I don't want to do this tap dancey spoiler-free thing. I want to be able to talk spoilers with you guys, so that's why we're waiting to talk about WandaVision until next week. Maybe we see WandaVision and think, oh, well, this is going to be a totally different MCU now. Things are going to be different, and it's not going to be what we're used to so maybe that's how Deadpool fits in because things are not the same as they were. And if that's the case, if that's the track record you're going to set, cool. I'm fine with that. I actually think that that sounds like a good idea because why would you, other than, again, it is a successful formula, you're going to keep doing exactly what you were doing and think you're going to get the same results? I don't think that that's a smart way to go. So I, I think that they are very much going to push the envelope here and maybe, just maybe, things will be so much different that, we fast forward a few years from now and Deadpool perfectly fits into the MCU because of this new vibe and world that they've created. Quickly, I want to talk about a couple of trailers here. One of them, this one's really flying under the radar, and that's why I wanted to talk about it quickly. It's a movie called Bliss. It's going to be coming out on Amazon Prime Video. It's an Amazon Originals movie, and it's going to be out on February the 5th. Now, it's a movie starring Salma Hayek, excuse me, Salma Hayek as Isabel and Owen Wilson as character named Greg. And it is a simulated world type movie. Basically, they create simulated worlds for people to give them a greater appreciation of the real world, of you know what they have in the real world, which is, on its surface seems like kind of a, a neat idea. So you throw somebody into this shitty world, and then by the time they wake up, go, wow, wow, I have no, no idea just how good my life really was. And, you know, you, they kind of turn the corner. Now, there's no indication of why Owen Wilson's character, Greg, is, is in this world or anything like that. But clearly, you know, he uh, he falls in love with Salma Hayek, who wouldn't, and they have a relationship. But then there's also this moment in the trailer where there's the whole, you know, could her research be flawed? Is she Does she have bad intentions? Are there evil doings going on here? And he starts to pick up on that. And things are just, it's a very interesting vibe of a movie because... Then it goes from, you could see in the trailer, it almost goes from a, hey, this world is simulated to get you a great appreciation of the world, but then it almost turns into escapism. At the same time, it's at a certain point during the, during the trailer, and almost an abuse of power at certain points by, by Isabel and Greg, both of them, quite frankly. And then there's the whole what's real, what's not real thing. There's a very off-center balance to this trailer, and this movie looks, to me, looks super, super... Interesting. So, in a world where you're t where you're inundated with with news about you know Marvel and DC and things like that and other big name movies, this is one you bet. I would put this on your radar. Bliss from Amazon Prime Video going to be coming out on February the fifth. I'm very interested to see where this is going to go because I certainly have high hopes for this one now. And Snowpiercer second season starts on January the twenty fifth, which is right around the corner. 
and they released their new trailer, and it's all big time on Mr. Wilford. Sean Bean finally slams his way into the Snowpiercer, and I'm literally, his train slams into the back of the Snowpiercer, and here comes Mr. Wilford. Now, and he really tries to take control right off the bat, and Leighton knows he's in a big fight. He's in for a big fight, and it's... It doesn't even seem like he's outnumbered. Not in this trailer, anyway. You'd think he probably is, because I don't think Mr. Wilford comes alone, right? But at the same time, you'd think that, you know, he would have enough people on his side to handle this. But Mr. Wilford, really, I mean, Sean Bean, just in this trailer, I'm like, okay, yeah, he's going to be the perfect puppet master in this second season or second part, whatever you want to call what we're about to get from Snowpiercer. It's also interesting because it looks like Melanie's going to going to be leaving the train for an outside little little jaunt outdoors and it almost looks like she gets stuck there at one point, doesn't she? Doesn't she? So I don't know what's going to be going on with Melanie. I worry for her. I know I probably shouldn't, but I do. And the tension in this trailer just feels super super high. To me that is going to create some really cool storytelling for a season two or part two, or whatever you call of Snowpiercer on TNT on January the 25th. Quickly, I want to get to this as well. Morbius has been delayed by Sony and Columbia Pictures. Now is going to be coming out on October the 8th of this year of 2021. And yes, that will probably push the Adams Family sequel out of that date a little bit later on. But I, here's the thing, and I know it's just one delay. I, I think that we've got a, bond, a James Bond delay coming here right around the corner too. another one. I, I And again, I'm not going to start talking about COVID statistics and vaccines and all that stuff. You get enough of that on the news. I'm not even going to go there. But here's my here we go again moment. And I'm certainly not taking sides on, you know, is, is Warner Brothers and HBO Max correct with what they're doing, putting movies out? on their streaming service and the theatrical experience is being destroyed and our movie theater is going to survive, blah, blah, blah. But at the same time, as a fan of movies and the general movie going public, again, you've got to be thinking to yourself, here we go again. Here we go again. And how many movies are going to get pushed to the fall now of 2021? So this movie's not even aiming for summer. This movie is aiming for the fall, and maybe that's a smart thing. If you are hell-bent on getting your movie watched in a theater, that is probably what you need to do is shove it to the fall based on things that we know right now about the virus and vaccines and where things are going. Maybe that if that is what you want to do, then that is where you're going to have to push it. But at the same time, what you're creating here is a is very much is a here you here we go again attitude from the people who want to see your movies and I am again a, an advocate of now safety first okay I understand that argument I really really do but when you continuously delay your movies for whatever reason I don't know that it makes people want to see them more if that makes sense. And it tends to make people forget your movie even exists. As far as I can remember, there's been one trailer for this Morbius movie since its inception. One trailer. We've gotten nothing beyond that. And to me, it seems like we should have at least gotten another trailer by now or something. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think we've gotten anything. So you're you're, you're creating a space for we want to make sure people see this in the theater for a movie that you really haven't generated a whole lot of hype over. And maybe it's because you knew you were going to have to move this movie again. I don't know. But you know what? If you're going to delay your movie, give me something that's going to make me want to wait until then to see it in the theater. Give me a trailer. Give me a wow moment. Give me some sort of a poster, something, anything that's going to make me go, damn, I can't. I'm so mad that this thing's been pushed to October. But look at what we've got to look forward to. You gave me nothing you gave me the news that it was happening and i just don't know if that's enough but but again i don't think that this is the last time we're going to be talking about another movie being delayed unfortunately that's going to do it for this week's edition of the down and nerdy podcast again thanks to me to my amazing guests this week frank hartz from fox's prodigal son which you can watch every tuesday night at nine o'clock eastern on fox and of course 
Megan Tandy from Batwoman. Oh, wait until you see what Sophie's going to be up to. Season 2 begins on Sunday, January the 17th at 8 p.m. Eastern Time on The CW. You can watch those shows again on their respective apps the next day, too, as well. If you want to keep up with everything we've got going on, and there's, it's a lot, go to downandnerdypodcast.com. You can also follow along on social media at downandnerdy757 on Twitter and on Instagram at downandnerdy on Facebook. Remember, you never have to apologize for being a nerd, so let your fan flag fly. Be good to your fellow nerds.